everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, celebrating pro and college football history. This episode, Goose Goslin, the first ever member of the Denver Broncos, in stories from the Game Before the Money vault. We'll also look at the two senior nominees for the 2021 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hi everybody, I'm Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press. The book is an oral history that contains interviews with 40 pro and college football legends who played between the 1930s and the 1970s. And of course, there are countless great stories in the book, but there's also some material that just never made it in, either because there wasn't room for the stories or they didn't quite fit into the player's chapter. So I decided to do a few From the Vault episodes and have a chance to share some of those bonus stories with you and also kind of bring you closer to the book and the interviews. This episode marks the first of these excursions from the vault. And I'm also going to take a few minutes to discuss the Pro Football Hall of Fame and their naming of two senior candidates in Drew Pearson and Tom Flores. Goose Gosselin isn't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he is on the AFL All-Time Team. He and I spent a lot of time on the phone together before he passed away in 2014. Goose always had some great stories, and we really enjoyed getting to talk football with each other. And it was a lot of fun going through the archives I had recorded of him. A quick note about Goose Gosselin and his career. He played college football at Baylor in the 1950s and then signed on as the very first member of the Denver Broncos. His name is inscribed in the Broncos Ring of Fame, and he's actually an original inductee of the team's Ring of Fame. He played safety for the Broncos from 1960 through 1966 and still holds the team's single-season interception record. He played one year for the San Francisco 49ers in 1967, and that made him the first starting player to go from the AFL to the NFL. A neck injury ended his career after only one year with the 49ers. You can read a lot about Goose's life and football career in the book, The Game Before the Money, but here are a few extra stories from the late, great Goose Gosselin. The first story we're going to hear Goose is going to take us back to the first ever Denver Broncos training camp. Players signed contracts, but you had to make the team to get paid. Goose really didn't know what to expect, but then realized he was going to make the team. He called his mom to tell her the news and also to ask for a favor. I called my mom and I said, uh, I said, hey, I didn't bring very many clothes, but and I don't have a car or anything. I had an uncle. I said, Get my uncle, I think I got it made. Tell him to drive my car up here and I'll pay his flight back home. So he did. He drove up, brought my clothes and my car. <laughs> but you never knew back then. I mean, you had no no cut contracts or anything. I mean, you you were just taking a chance at all that sort of thing. Whether or not you made it. Goose once told me the story of buying his first car 
he saw an ad in the local paper that said a car dealership had cars for as low as $30. So Goose saved up $30 and went down there. He got to the dealership and asked the owner about the cars for $30. And the owner kind of muttered about how he had an old junker on the lot just to say it was $30. He didn't figure anybody would actually buy it. But Goose did. And to the dealer's credit, he sold it to him for $30. I think Goose was probably about 14 at the time, if I remember correctly. Goose also told me about how the Broncos' first head coach, Frank Filchok, brought Frank Trapuca into camp as a coach. And Trapuca ended up being the starting quarterback. We had a guy named Frank Trapuca. Frank, Frank came out of Notre Dame. And he was up in Canada, and these coaches, uh, Frank Filchock and all the coaches were from Canada, and they knew him, so they brought him down as a coach. But I think they already knew that we needed a quarterback, because Frank took over and played quarterback. Frank Trapuca ended up throwing the first touchdown pass in American Football League history. He also set a lot of long-standing Denver Broncos passing records and has his number retired by the Broncos. Goose talked about how good 49ers quarterback John Brody was in the book, The Game Before the Money, but this episode gives me a chance to include him talking about Chiefs quarterback Len Dawson. Here's a good story about a fun exchange between Goose and Len Dawson after Goose made three interceptions off of the Hall of Fame quarterback. Len Dawson was probably one of the best quarterbacks, you know, back then when we played and all, and uh, ran around with him when we were go to those Pro Bowls. A mm-hmm. lot of us, different guys would hang out with different ones, and I hung out with Len quite a bit, and uh, we played him in Denver, and I intercepted him three times in one game. <laughs> he walked by me at halftime, you SOP, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, you keep going that same path, I'm going to keep picking it off. <laughs> Goose also added that the AFL All-Star Games cultivated a sort of camaraderie with the other players and coaches in the league, especially those within your own division. So Goose became quite friendly with the members of the Chiefs, Raiders, and Chargers as he made the AFL All-Star Game virtually every year that he played. Ernie Ladd, he was a big, big 
Kansas City. Ron Mix, he played for San Diego. Goose really enjoyed the notoriety he received after his playing career ended. He said that Broncos owner Pat Boland did a lot to include Broncos alumni and invite them back to games. Goose also joked that the former players try to avoid being announced right after Floyd Little because the crowd would cheer so loud for Floyd Little that they'd still be cheering by the time you were announced and nobody would hear your name called. As I mentioned earlier, Goose still hasn't been named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, although he is on the AFL all-time team. When he left the AFL and joined the San Francisco 49ers, he held the AFL's all-time record in interceptions. And only two players in AFL history ended up topping that number, but they played at least two or three seasons longer in the American Football League after Goose had left. The same goes with Chiefs great Johnny Robinson, who is now in the Hall of Fame. He ended up tying Goose's 43 interceptions. And that brings us to talking about the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the two senior candidates announced for the 2021 induction, Tom Flores and Drew Pearson. Going to give you some facts about both of them who are likely to be inducted in the 2021 class. They still need to get 80% of the vote. I usually try to avoid giving opinions on the show, but both of these candidates are deserving, in my opinion. I'll also mention a few other players I'd like to see make the senior list in the future. First, going to talk about Tom Flores. His greatest and most recognized success was as head coach of the Oakland Raiders and the Los Angeles Raiders. He won two Super Bowls as a head coach, Super Bowl 15 and 18, and he was a great playoffs coach. He had an 8 and 3 record as a head coach in the playoffs. Now get ready for some facts here. Tom Flores has the highest winning percentage since the merger of any head coach in the playoffs with at least 5 wins. That puts him ahead of even Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, and Chuck Knoll. And of all head coaches in history, we're talking all NFL history, who were in the playoffs at least five times, Flores is second in all-time playoff winning percentage. Second only to, any guesses? Vince Lombardi. Tom Flores was the Raiders receiving coach from 1972 through 1979. So he won a Super Bowl ring for Super Bowl XI as an assistant under John Madden. And here's another fact that will surprise a lot of you. He won a Super Bowl ring as a player as well on the Kansas City Chiefs when they won Super Bowl IV. He threw one pass for the Chiefs that year, and it was a 33-yard touchdown. So not bad. He was the original starting quarterback for the Oakland Raiders in 1960 and actually threw the first touchdown pass in Raider history. There's some trivia for you. You can read more about his time as the Raiders quarterback in the Cotton Davidson chapter of the book, The Game Before the Money. Cotton, of course, another starting quarterback early in the Raiders' legacy. 
Tom Flores was traded from Oakland to Buffalo after the 1966 season in a deal that brought Daryl LaMonica to the Raiders. Flores played nine years in the NFL, but not at a Hall of Fame level. It's his coaching and probably most significantly his two Super Bowl wins as a head coach that got him the senior nomination. That brings us to Drew Pearson. There's an old saying about voting for the Hall of Fame that voters used to talk about. Can you tell the history of the game without this person? And in Drew Pearson's case, you look at him being the receiver on the famous Hail Mary play, and I think that gives him an all-important signature play in history. And you can read more about that game on thegamebeforethemoney.com. There's a fairly comprehensive two-part feature on the blog about that game that shows that it came down to quite a bit more than just one play. And of course, you can't make the Hall of Fame based on just one play either. So let's look at Drew Pearson's career. He led the NFL in receiving in 1977, and he led the Dallas Cowboys in receiving four straight seasons and was named All-Pro three times. A lot of that sounds like a really good player, but here's what might elevate Pearson into the Hall of Fame category. In the 1970s, only one other receiver made first team All-Pro three times. And I'll tell you who that is in a minute. But the point here is Drew Pearson was recognized as one of the two best receivers in the NFL for three seasons during the 1970s. And Pearson was also first team on the NFL's 1970s All-Decade team. If his induction is confirmed, that means every first-team player on offense will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Pearson was an impact player who seemed to make big plays in key moments. Case in point, the Hail Mary game, of course he made the big catch that won the game, but before that, on the same drive, he made a huge catch on a 4th and 16. So he made two clutch catches on the game-winning drive in one of the most famous games in NFL history. That wasn't the only time Drew Pearson had heroics in a divisional playoff game. In the 1980 NFL playoffs, Pearson caught two touchdowns in the last four minutes in a divisional playoff win at Atlanta to beat the Falcons. This was a game where the Cowboys trailed by 10 points in the fourth quarter before Pearson scored twice to win it for Dallas. He caught the winning touchdown with 42 seconds left on a play that quarterback Danny White openly admitted he just tossed it up there and hoped Pearson would somehow catch it. And that says a lot right there. Quarterbacks go to the guys they trust the most in the most important moments, especially in the playoffs. And in Pearson's case, you have Hall of Fame quarterback Roger Staubach going to Pearson on the pivotal plays in the 1975 playoffs. And then you have Staubach's successor, Danny White, doing the same thing in 1980 and 1981. In 1981, White completed a pass to Drew Pearson right after the famous Joe Montana to Dwight Clark touchdown. And Drew Pearson took it for a big game. 
In fact, he almost scored on the play. It was a horse collar tackle from behind, which was legal at the time, that brought Pearson down and prevented him from scoring. Otherwise, you might hear about the Drew Pearson catch rather than the Dwight Clark catch. The main point is when the Dallas Cowboys needed a big pass play, they often looked to Drew Pearson. And that was especially true in the playoffs. And here's another playoff fact about Drew Pearson. He caught at least one pass in every single playoff game he played in. All 22 of those games. He caught a pass in 22 consecutive playoff games. You might be thinking, wow, is that some sort of a record? Well, it was until Jerry Rice broke that record in the 1998 playoffs. So that's another point. Of all the great receivers in NFL history, it took Jerry Rice to break Drew Pearson's playoff record. And Drew Pearson remains second on that list for most consecutive playoff games with a reception. I'm going to close the segment about Drew Pearson with a couple of neat miscellaneous facts He went to high school in South River, New Jersey with quarterback Joe Theismann. They played together in Pearson's sophomore year before Theismann graduated and Pearson shifted from receiver to quarterback. So Pearson played two years of quarterback in high school after Joe Theismann graduated. Pearson played his college ball at Tulsa and that school later turned out another great receiver of the 1970s in Steve Largent. Both Tom Flores and Drew Pearson need to receive 80% of the votes to get into the Hall of Fame. There are 48 voters who vote on the committee. Traditionally, the vast majority of senior nominees have made it in. The program started in 1972 and only three players and one executive have not made it in yet. Although a few, such as Bob Hayes, didn't make it in on their senior nomination, but made the Hall of Fame later. And that brings us to a rare opinion segment on the Game Before the Money podcast. A few players I'd like to see get inducted on the senior ballot in the future. And by definition, a senior candidate is someone whose career ended at least 25 years ago. That is per the Pro Football Hall of Fame's website. I mentioned before that Drew Pearson was one of only two receivers in the 1970s to make first team All-Pro three times. The other player was, any guesses? Cliff Branch. And he's one of those guys I'd like to see get into the Hall of Fame. He made All-Pro three consecutive times in the 1970s and really is a guy who is a face of the all-time Raiders franchise. He was a part of the great 70s Raiders teams and still with the team when they won in 1983. Now going way back, a couple of guys I'd like to see get in are Al Wistert and Buck O'Kilroy, both from the Philadelphia Eagles of the 1940s. Al Wister made all NFL on both offense and defense, 
many times in the 1940s and helped the Eagles win back-to-back championships. Wistert and Kilroy together played major roles on a line that could be considered on the short list of both great offensive and defensive lines in NFL history. You can read more about Al in the book, The Game Before the Money, and on thegamebeforethemoney.com. And on the podcast, Upton Bell is going to join us in an upcoming episode and talk about the fantastic 1948 NFL championship game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Chicago Cardinals. And there'll be even more to learn about Al Wister and Bucko Kilroy in that episode. This is in no way a complete list of players who I'd love to see get in the Hall of Fame and think deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But I want to mention Randy Gratishar, a Broncos linebacker who was one of the most prominent linebackers in the 1970s, especially in the AFC. He made the Pro Bowl seven times, and you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who watched football in the 1970s to not list Gratishar as one of the best defensive players in the league. And that kind of brings me to a point I made on social media recently. I think a lot of players in the 1970s and 80s got overlooked because the Hall of Fame's first class was in 1963. And the Hall of Fame only inducted a handful of members each year. You have to wait five years to get into the Hall of Fame. So by the time Randy Gratishar had retired in 1983, there was still a backlog of a lot of players that they needed to induct from well before him. For example, on the final ballot, just the year after Gratishar retired in 1984, listen to some of the guys who did not get in. Don Maynard, who retired in 1973 as pro football's all-time leading receiver. And this is 10 years later. And he didn't get in until 1989. Fran Tarkenton, listed as a semifinalist slash finalist in 1984 and did not get in. Fran Tarkenton retired as the all-time leading passer in NFL history. And consider this, he still didn't even get in in 1985. He made it in in 1986 after retiring after the 1978 season. So if you can imagine Brett Favre or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady having to wait a handful of ballots before getting into the Hall of Fame, that was Fran Tarkenton's position. So by 1988, when Randy Gratishar first became eligible, guys like John Mackey are still trying to get into the Hall of Fame. And then you have to remember the players like Earl Campbell, Franco Harris, Terry Bradshaw, they're all retiring about the same time. So I think a lot of guys like Randy Gratishar, Leroy Jordan is another, Elsie Greenwood, they kind of got caught up in the numbers. And so did a lot of guys who came later while the Hall of Fame still had to induct greats from the 50s and 60s while the A-list players from the 70s and 80s retired. Randy Gratishar is one of those guys that I watched as a kid and just figured that he was a future Hall of Famer. And I don't think I'm alone there. 
And I want to be clear that I'm not being critical of the Hall of Fame at all. I love the Hall of Fame. And this might be a very logical explanation of why some very deserving players haven't been able to get in. Because you've got to have Sammy Baugh in there. You've got to have Bronco Nagurski in there. You've got to have Red Grange in there. A guy like Clark Hinkle and Johnny Blood. Ernie Nevers, these are guys that have to be in the Hall of Fame. But they also had to be inducted decades after they retired. So it's very likely that guys whose careers started or ended maybe 10 to 15 years after the Hall of Fame was established, they might have gotten caught up in the numbers. I think they're doing a Good job of trying to add some of those players who might have been overlooked in the past. And it seems to be that they're on the path to continue to do that. And it's great to see guys like Jerry Kramer, Robert Brazil, Cliff Harris, and hopefully Tom Flores and Drew Pearson get in. And I forgot to mention, Bill Nunn was just named as a finalist, as a contributor. You can learn a little bit about Bill Nunn and why he deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the John Wooten episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. And I would wholeheartedly add John Wooten to the list of people I would love to see get enshrined in Canton, Ohio. Billy White Shoes Johnson is another. But if I were to name everybody I wanted to see in there, it would probably be a two to three hour episode at least. Earlier in the episode, we heard, of course, from Goose Gosselin, and it'd be great to see him get into the Hall of Fame as well. And since this is 2020 and a senior nominee is defined as retiring at least 25 years ago, I'll suggest a couple of more guys to put things into perspective for those of you who are longtime NFL fans. Jay Novacek's last season was 1995. So, yep, he's going to be senior eligible. Love to see him get into the Hall of Fame. Great tight end, especially on third down. And Sterling Sharp's last season was 1994, so he's already eligible. Time flies when you're watching football. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. And in upcoming episodes, we'll have two other players I'd love to see in the Hall of Fame one day. Packers great boy Dowler and Broncos legend Carl Mecklenburg. We'll also have Upton Bell walk us through three games that changed the NFL in a three-part series. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss out on any of these great stories celebrating the history of pro and college football. Transcriptions of podcasts can be found at thegamebeforethemoney.com in the podcast notes section. And transcriptions are powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more.